Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome back to another installment of New Books in Poetry's month-long celebration of the chapbook, Chapbookapalooza. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. Today we have with us Yuhan Chow. Yuhan Eugenia Chow was born and grew up in Taipei, Taiwan. She received her BA from National Taiwan University and her MFA from Penn State. Her full-length collection, We Grow Old, 53 Chinese Love, came out with Backwaters Press. Both Dancing Girl Press and Imaginary Friend Press have published her chapbooks. She teaches at the University of California, Merced, where she co-chairs the Write, Look, Listen reading series. She's here with us today to discuss her new chapbook, One Woman Fruit Stand, with Imaginary Friend Press 2014. Welcome, Yuhan. Hello. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Let's start with reading um, the first poem in the collection, as it is very much an entry point into form and content. Could you read Ice Flash Camera for us? Yesterday, a good day for a yellow sari engagement. Henna and not washing for good luck. Today's red gold smoke and emerald rites. Is that the bride crying, the mother-in-law scowling? Rosaries and crosses and blue elephants, and a promise for seven lifetimes. Nobody knows the secret yet. Nobody knows, and along with ghouls and schoolgirls, witches and cheerleaders, they stand in line for the elixir, pomegranate split in two in a bowl of water, ice, flash, and camera. Thank you very much. Um, Can you speak a little to this poem as a means with which to enter the collection? Uh, Well, the collection itself is from a group of poems that I wrote while I was pregnant, and this is, I guess, the beginning. I had gone to a friend's wedding, and I didn't realize I was pregnant at the time, mm-hmm. but I was. So I kind of mixed up that evening along with the news of, I guess, knowing that there's going to be a baby. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the beginning of the wedding in a lot of cases is when the life starts or when a new family is starting. I like that. Um, So now, there is a unifying image or theme that carries throughout the collection, whether it be an extended metaphor, um, the idea of fruit. And um, a lot of different fruit appears in the the, uh, poems throughout, um, ones that I had never heard of and and we'll talk about later. But can you um, give us an idea of how this came together as a cohesive collection with that as the unifying theme? Well, yes, because... um I guess the fruit is a perfect metaphor for pregnancy Mm. and carrying the child. Mm. And what happened was when I was pregnant, I would look up, you know, for instance, you're 17 weeks pregnant and I'll say your baby is the size of a blueberry. So at first I was trying to write a poem for each week, looking at the fruit of that week, Mm -hmm. just researching the fruit and also different things that are happening, happening developmentally with the embryo. So kind of conflating those images. Hmm. Um, 
Before we get even further into the collection, I just want to take a step back and learn a little bit more about you. Um, now, when did you come to the United States? Uh, I was here briefly as a child from kindergarten through fourth grade, and then I went back to Taiwan, and I was there until I finished college, and then I came back for grad school at Penn State, Okay, and I've been here ever since. And were you first exposed to um, Taiwanese poets or poets from other countries? Uh, probably. Oh, well, I guess at the earliest age, there's a lot of classical Chinese poetry that children kind of chant and learn and memorize and sing. So I guess that was my earliest exposure. I wish we had something like that here. We definitely <laughs> do not have poetry in, in grade school or for any measurable means. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of classics that you have to memorize, actually. Oh, wow. So. Um, so throughout this book, which I hope that our readers will buy, um, there are illustrations. Um, mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit to um, you know whether or not you worked in tandem with the illustrator or if she just read your work and, and created the pieces on her own? Yes, Sharon, Sharon was a good friend of mine when we were at Penn State. We were both in fiction together, and when the editor from Imaginary Friend Press contacted me, he said that he always liked to have some kind of collaboration in the book, so it could be a collaboration with another writer and maybe even artist. So I spoke to Sharon, and she's a great illustrator mm -hmm. yeah, and beautiful. artist. So she read, she, she read the entire thing and picked out a couple of fruits that she was interested in. Mm -hmm. and just created the artwork. Yeah, lovely. Um, so let's jump back into the poetry. Could you read Kodama on page 7? Yes. Kodama. Terrifying and bivalent-faced Kodama spirit. All holes, rotating head, interchangeable eyes, mouth, eyes, click, click, click bending occasionally at the elbows and knees. When the antlered forest spirit was beheaded, a thousand little friends of XGG fell down, head first, aborted rain symbolic of happenings around the world, in cities and forests, wormholes in your baby tomatoes, black on ripe red, click, click, click. This is one of my favorite pieces in the collection. Um, I looked up Kodama and read that their spirits living in or shaped as trees, according to <laughs> Japanese mythology. How did you come upon this myth? I don't know if you've seen Princess Mononoke. I haven't. It's, um, there are these little spirits that were living in the forest, and they looked exactly like what the baby skulls look like in the ultrasounds. It's kind of creepy. It's basically <laughs> a skull with the two eyes. It's hold and the mouth is a hole as well. And those creatures actually would spin their heads what? so that the two eye sockets and the mouth are really interchangeable. They just spin, you know, a little bit and the mouth is an eye and so on and so forth. So that's pretty creepy. That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it does look like the ultrasound babies. And I love my child and I was moved when I saw the ultrasound, but I still think they were secretly creepy. Oh, they're, they're basically skeletons. They are skeletons. I, I still have some. Like, I don't have any cute sonogram pictures of my daughter. <laughs> it's all, like, you know, these menacing, horrific images of, like, you know, demon babies. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to explain. <laughs> For the final poem, could you read Prickly Pear on page 15? Prickly Pear. 
Not for those who fear a big honking needle down the spine, a thousand pricks from the Opuntia plant, more yet on the angry red pear, able to draw blood, its life source, vampiric open-mouthed fruit, offering spinal injections between vertebrae, so much medication a catheter required, smack in the center of terrifying iodine smear, then more medication, more intervention, in cases of incompetent carers, falling fast asleep between pushing, death the next day during a nap. Yet more than 50%, the less paranoid population, have faith in the juice. Question is, do you? Thank you. I love how menacing the language of this piece is. Can you um, talk about how it came into being? Uh, it's about the epidural, I guess, and the series of interventions that might follow it, which, uh, well, in my case, I was induced, and all the horrifying interventions did happen. Hmm. Which is kind of funny because I was fearing all of this happening. And it kind of did. I didn't get an epidural. I had to get a spinal tap because it was an emergency C-section. But all the documentaries out there that I guess show the statistics and the different horror stories in a way kind of played into all of this imagery and the fear of something going wrong, I guess. So how long after the birth of your child, did you start to make these connections with the imagery for these, these poems to come into being? I think I've been constantly revising them because well, each I, I allowed myself one week to work on the draft of each poem since it was that week's fruit. And then afterwards, I just kept revising. There are definitely some favorites and some that I wasn't able to take much further, so there are not as many poems as there are weeks of pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> but I just continued revising. And sometimes just researching that fruit, because I ran out of good fruit pretty soon. Because <laughs> by the last weeks of pregnancy, it's pretty much all melons, if you really mm -hmm. want to be accurate about the size. So mm -hmm. I was just looking for a different interesting fruit that worked as a metaphor for whatever was coming up. For instance, the fear of medical interventions is close to the end, close to the birth, a possible induction, all of that. Well, this is a really um, interesting extended metaphor. I mean, it is very much rooted in reality um, with those those crazy sites that, you know, compare your, your fetus to fruit. Um, <laughs> But um, I do love where you've taken it, and um, I encourage our listeners to pick up this chapbook. Um, thank you so much for your time and for discussing this collection with us. Thank you so much, Jen, for your time and for the opportunity. You're welcome. Um, this is Jen Fitzgerald with New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry. Poetry.